Sunday Love by me, Paul Cree. Greetings, bonjour, what's happening? Something a little different this week. It's a short story that I wrote around 2014. This will most likely be a bit longer than my usual offerings on here. Bear with me, I'm trying something. I have this character called Reese, who I've written a number of stories about over the last 10 or so years, which I've never done anything with, apart from entering this one into a short story competition. I'm assuming I didn't win. He first appeared as a character in a spoken word piece called My Town, which I wrote around 2010, and used to perform it a lot. It was like my flagship piece. I stopped performing it because I felt like it didn't really fit with everything else that I did, which was largely autobiographical. So I decided I was better off keeping him in short story form and every now and again I'd dig him out along with his mates and start writing. Saying that, I wrote a draft of a two-hander play in which Reese was one of the main characters. Well, he was one of two characters. Also, never went anywhere. I always enjoy writing as this character, just never really know what to do with it, which I spoke about in the first blog on this here substack. Most of the stories are just ideas really, some a bit more developed than others. This was one of the better ones. Hopefully I'll have a crack at writing some more at some point. Hope you enjoy it. Sunday Loaf. I'm at an age in my life where I don't actually mind living with my parents, but they probably do. Well, my dad definitely does. I don't blame him though. My parents are old school. As a man, you leave home at 18, 19, get a job, make your way in the world, get married, set up a new home, have a couple of nippers and all that. Then once in a while you feed them on your Sunday lunchtime, Christmas or Easter like they did you. That's it. I'm approaching 30 and I haven't yet flown the nest. I pay rent and bills like most other people, just not as much as the rent bit. But I make up for that tax break with massive debt repayments from historical credit binges and general financial mismanagement that sees me permanently squatting in my overdraft with nothing to show for it other than several pairs of once banging trainers, several hundred booze ups and a few holidays abroad with mates where we got boozed up just like we normally do except under the sun sporting t-shirts with unimaginative names written on the back. Being at home, I sometimes get the benefit of mum's cooking. The meals can be a bit samey, but I'm not that fussy when it comes to eating and I don't like cooking. So I'm grateful. Most of the time. Really, I am. I just hate sitting around the table to eat as a family. This day was another one of those days. Sunday lunch, the important one, with me hung over again, having got cunted the night before. Again. Which never really helps. Does it? This looks lovely, Pem. Normally Dad rubs his hand together at this point, like an excitable child upon being presented a plateful of Mum's finest Sunday roast. There was no cheery hand rubbing on this day, though. I figured he'd not had his, had his customary pre-match clear-out, which had probably put him out of sorts. This is all part of the build-up for Dad. I normally hear it in my room, unfortunately positioned next to the Kazi. It's awful and not as bad as the main event that comes after dinner's done. Sorry, but I think the potatoes are a bit overdone. Mum, modest as ever. 
As I work varying shifts at the call centre, I'm often able to get out of sitting around the table to dinner table to eat during the week. Sitting together brings it all home for me and stamps it on my face. I'm all too aware that I'm encroaching into my parents' final swan song as they approach retirement like a London marathon runner looking like a prick in some stupid costume they probably regretted as soon as the camera started rolling, staggering down the mile towards the finishing line, glad that that whole ordeal will surely be over. There's not a day that goes by when I wish I wasn't an inconvenience on their part. I'm grateful for the roof and the food, but I find this tired ritual of eating around the table a mild form of torture, and so does my sister, and it's likely that so do my parents, yet they insist on persisting with it. It's as if we're at a conference and I'm the resident fuckwit, speaking on how to be a complete waste of valuable oxygen and maximise parental disappointment with a sticker across my chest that says, Bell End. It wasn't supposed to be like this, was it? Can you pass me the pepper please, Dad? Speak up, Reese. I can't hear you. You're mumbling. Can you pass me the pepper please, Dad? Dad was in one of those moods where he doesn't really want to talk. Tiptoeing around him can be like walking across a minefield, blindfolded. Not that I've ever walked across a minefield, blindfolded but I imagine it to be pretty stressful. Closest I ever got was picking the football out the stinging nettles in the garden. I was hungover and in no mood for walking, let alone tiptoeing, that required delicate movements and intense concentration. My sister Kerry was kicking me under the table. I looked at her and she nodded at my hand, which was underneath my chin, elbow resting on the table, supporting my head like a really shit pillar as if some can't-be-arsed student had made a crap attempt at a Greek amphitheatre using cardboard and sellotape for a GCSE tech project. The one freehand, my left, was forking up little bits of food, then tipping it back over onto the plate. Over the last few years of being at home, me and Kerry have developed this physical dialogue and perfected it. This wordless and slightly painful form of communication is used specifically for mealtimes, mostly on Sundays. There were several phrases, most of which roughly translated to Reese, you melon, if you're hungover, at least try to look like you're not hungover. You know it winds them up. Dad shovels his first thoughtful into his cement mixer of a mouth, lip smacking like a racehorse with the munchies. I find the sound of people eating repulsive. It's one of the most basic of human functions, yet I can't stand it, even when I eat. We piss shit and fuck separately, why do we all have to do this one together? Sat around tables like a bunch of mugs, pretending to enjoy each other's company. Most of my mates' families didn't bother with this tired ritual. They thought I was posh because my family did it. It was always really awkward when they came round for tea. What's the point in having a fucking sky dish if we're not going to spend dinner time gawping at the Fresh Prince like a stoned goldfish? I must have automatically winced when Dad made a particularly loud lip smack because Kerry spoke to me again. Kick! Reese, for fuck's sake, get it together! How's work at the moment, Reese? As ever, Mum attempts to break the ice while desperately trying in vain to hold this Pangea together instead of letting evolution explode us into our independent landmasses. For the record, 
I'd probably be some crap island cut adrift in the North Atlantic, fuck all minerals to mine and too weak to defend itself from imperialists who'd want to use it as a military base to attack somewhere much bigger, wealthier and generally more useful to humanity. It's alright, thanks. I say, forking up and twisting another bit of mash. Nothing new then? Nah, not really. Staring at the mash, thinking that it looks like a fluffy cloud. Your mum is asking you a question, Reese. Dad interjects with a mouthful of food, speaking words as if there was a sock stuffed in his mouth. A lone pea and a couple of bits of swede escape out and fly onto the tablecloth, like debris from a restaurant bomb blast shattering into the street. I follow the pea's trajectory. The pea lands just in front of the water jug, right in my eye line. Sorry mum, just don't have much to say about it at the moment. Nothing positive anyway. The mashed potato is really nice. Don't know why we bother Pam. Dad ploughs back into his food. My response was CD borderline at best, could do better, just like most of my school reports. Reminding me of that time I made that half-assed Greek amphitheatre out of sellotape and paper for my GCSE tech project. I looked at the P for a moment and wondered if he was hoping that another one of his mates might come flying out of Dad's mouth to join him on the table whilst Dad was barking at me. Alas, he was still on his own, isolated. Must have been hard for that P. Despair was something I could empathise with. Dad finally swallowed then spoke. The P must have winced. You spend four working days there, five days a week, and you have nothing to say. Not really. What do you want me to say, Dad? I want you to give your mother a proper answer, not some crap attempt like that poxy one you just gave. I think Dad must have been constipated again. Leave it, Tony. He doesn't want to talk about it. Mum speaks, her eyes closed and her chin to her chest. Kick. You fucking idiot, Reese. Mum's upset now. Why do you always do this? Mum looks as if she could cry. She stares at her plate, composes herself, then asks Kerry about how her A-levels are going. Kerry answers. Kerry to the rescue. She speaks well, talking about her uni choices, giving Mum and Dad a reason for optimism. A daughter that could genuinely go on to make some actual achievements in life. Kerry knows how to play this game. She finishes her modest Oscar speech, then gives me a double kick. I've got you out of this one again. See, all you have to do is engage them. It's not that hard, Reese, is it? Stop feeling sorry for yourself. You're like a fucking child sometimes. Mum and Dad start talking about the 70s weekend that they'd just been on down at Pontins, after Carrie tactically asked them how it went. They seemed to perk up at this. Even Dad raised a smile. Sounds like they really enjoyed it. I'm glad they enjoyed it. I looked at the pea again, the lone green pea, the maverick escapee seeking asylum from the death camps of my dad's guts where the stodge of low quality white bread, streaky bacon, digestive biscuits and shitty lager permanently undulate in one mass gloop of shat. Sitting quietly on the kitchen tablecloth, lonely and isolated, far removed from his earthy beginnings. It wasn't meant to be like this, was it, P? 
I reckoned he was waiting round to see if anyone else made it out. The Swede were straight goners to the floor, no chance anyone will ever find them other than the Hoover. This P was probably well educated, expecting great things from the promised land of the tablecloth. But he was on his own, no help from anyone, and probably seen as a piece of shit to be disposed of. But he's free. Free. If only he knew it. Somewhere in between fantasising about the P, the conversation had moved from the 70s weekender in Pontins to mum and dad's history together. A regular feature at the mealtime and one that always left me feeling worse than I already did upon hearing their achievements and inevitably comparing them to mine. More appeasement from the school of Kerry's diplomacy. In 1984, I think it was, me and your father managed to buy our first place, a small flat in Norwood. I think we were 22. Mum looks at Dad. Dad shovels another load of food in his mouth, then replies, No, 21. We were both the first in our families to ever get a mortgage. Every time, years younger than what I am now, married and on the property ladder. I'm pretty sure they don't do it on purpose, but stories of mum and dad's achievements are like laying the boot in, a real wind stealer right in the ribs when you've already lying on the floor, having had the shit beaten out of you by the school bully in front of everyone after making the mistake of trying to stick up for yourself. Tell myself it's pointless making comparisons. They didn't have pimped my ride back then to microwave any ambitions they might have had, but still, I couldn't help making those comparisons and inevitably feeling like a massive piece of shit that had taken up permanent residence in their bought and paid for home. Me and the P. We were one now. Nord was a lovely little place. The area was a bit different back then. Really nice little community was. You knew who your neighbours were. Not like it is now. Nah, couldn't go back to London now. I looked at my parents and watched their mouths moving as they spoke. I began to imagine that I'd conducted a full-blown MRI scan on their brains as they were sat there at the table whilst talking to Kerry, and I was now analysing the results via the medium of Microsoft PowerPoint, the lone P wearing a little lab coat, glasses and holding a clipboard as my assistant. If you see the red patches here, these are momentary flashes of xenophobia, normally triggered during moments of nostalgia, quite common amongst people of this age. That's right. Wouldn't go back to Norwood now. No chance. Ted from work still drinks here from time to time when he goes up to watch the palace. There was a shooting on our old street, Pam. It's all gangs fighting over drugs now. If you pay particular attention to the mill, these yellow patches here are nerve endings, sending messages to the bowels to release a highly toxic gas known to stink up the whole top floor of a house, often requiring fumigation afterwards. There is a severe build-up of this gas in the gut due to years of bad diet and stubborn refusal to adhere to any type of dietary advice. This blue light here just above it is directly linked. It's a revulsion for anyone who dares to suggest implementing a dietary change and anyone that does is either an obnoxious middle-class twat or just plain homosexual. This green light here is an internal query, querying whether or not plain homosexual makes sense as a phrase, and this purple light is an insecurity due to the word query being used internally in reference to homosexuals, sounding a bit too much like queer, triggering this red light here at the back of the brain, which is an anxiety about whether or not there is a subconscious link. That was lovely, Pam. Really hit the spot that did. Dad gets up from the table, 
and goes into the kitchen, returning with two slices of white bread to mop up the gravy still on his plate. I look at the pea, and I'm sure I can sense a full, small feeling of humour emitting from that little green bean, like a snigger or something, at the look of Dad with the white bread. Would you like any more, love? No thanks, Mum. I'm stuffed. What about pudding? It's apple crumble, your favourite. Apple crumble has never been my favourite. I might have said I liked it once when I was about 12. I stopped eating puddings a few years ago, yet mum still insists on offering it. I read somewhere it was bad for your digestion to eat a load of sugar blasted food straight after a heavy meal. This was probably instantly dismissed by my parents as cod swallop, even though dad would have most likely gone upstairs after the meal to obliterate the toilet, yet failed to make the connection whilst condemning the upstairs part of the house again. Kick! Stop thinking about dad's eating habits! I'm okay for pudding, thanks mum. I'll go and start the washing up. I got up and left. Washing up was my exit card. A chance for me to stick my headphones on, listen to some beats and block out the dull and painful thud of my own failings. As I got up from the table and walked into the kitchen, I suddenly thought about that pea, stranded, no longer under my protection. Bang! That bloody boy doesn't clean up after himself. I suddenly noticed that my leg was hurting. It wasn't meant to be this way, was it?